You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast, and I have a returning guest, uh, veterinarian Barbara Royal of the Royal Treatment Veterinary Center. Um, podcast with Barbara quite a while back, and then I met her in person at the uh, Metabolic Health Summit in January this year, and she's uh, fantastic with uh, with animals and, and you know, giving advice on how to help them above and beyond what uh, I think most vets would tell you. So uh, the, the most interesting thing I remember from last time is she told me that uh, she had done acupuncture on, on camels, I guess, to help their knees, and it worked. So, so Barbara, welcome back, and thanks for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. Yep. Acupuncture is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so tell me what, the, you know, for listeners that may not know from last time, tell me a little bit about mm-hmm. yourself and uh, how you got into the veterinary world. Yeah, I'm a, I'm an integrative veterinary medical practitioner in Chicago. I have my own clinic here. Um, where we treat basically, you know, it's the, it's for the local community, dogs and cats. Um, we do a few other animals, you know, rabbits and smaller animals now and again. And then I also consult at the zoos, um, for integrative medicine techniques and and practices and, uh, nutrition, um, for both uh, Lincoln Park Zoo, Brookfield Zoo and the Shedd Aquarium. Um, and then I also do some volunteer for wildlife, things like that, if I need to. But my practice is really um, based in trying to find the uh, you know better fundamentals for health for the animals that you know that that I'm treating, so that it's not um, constantly looking at medications or different types of conventional medicine first. What I'm really looking for is to find uh, nutrition that's going to make a difference, um, maybe uh, some holistic supplements or um, anything that we can do for lifestyle that might make a difference to change an animal's um, health situation. And I feel like right now we we have a um, you know medical system that teaches an awful lot about drugs and surgeries and things like that, but we really don't teach in our in our veterinary schools um, and even for humans, I think, um, a lot about the causes of health. And I think that's something that every doctor for animals or humans um, should really have. I mean, we should have a really firm grasp on what are the causes of health for whatever species we're treating. So that's why I do what I do. You know what's, uh, you know what's weird is we use millions and millions of rats, modified rats in labs and, and mm-hmm. say, oh, that, you know, hopefully that'll apply to humans you know, mm-hmm. for all these drugs and treatments. 
but then we probably ignore all the dogs and cats and monkeys and other creatures that uh, people take care of and I would guess have probably similar problems to us. And that that does, that seems to be marginalized, which is really strange. If you think about yeah, it, it's like it this, this odd dichotomy, you know. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of things that translate from, you know, different animals. If you're talking about all mammals, there's things that sort of are common about our metabolic pathways and things. And then there are things that are quite different. So, you know, for example, I talk a lot about um, to the ancestral mechanisms of healing from um, ketogenic diets. And that works very well, works very well for humans. I think it works very well for for, um, the dogs and cats that I see. But it, you know, it wouldn't work very well for a horse. You know, you can't use that type of diet. Although there is still an ancestral mechanism for cleaning up your own cells, you know, in a horse or an animal that has to eat different foods in order to to do well. We just have to figure out how to turn on that mechanism in that species. So, what do you see as are the predominant issues with, uh, you know, I guess we'll go simple dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. You know, are people taking care of them in the right way? Are they feeding them in the right way? Are they causing them issues? I mean, what, what do you see? I think the biggest problem we're dealing with right now in dogs and cats is cancer. Um, I think, you know, the statistic of one in every two dogs in our country having cancer um, is is shocking and horrifying and have to be doing something wrong. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever for such a huge population of animals to have so much cancer. Um, And secondarily to that, what I see in my practice, it's not just, it's not just the cancer, but it's the things leading up to the cancer that seem to be a big problem. So it's inflammation, allergies, chronic problems, even seizures, things like that. All of those I feel are sort of just these gradations of the body being unhealthy, not being able to clear itself. And the best way that I feel like we solve those problems is if we really address the nutrition primarily and then see what else we need to do down the road. So part of our biggest problem right now is that we're feeding dogs and cats a huge amount of processed foods. And these processed foods, you know, typically are the the dry kibble form. And that I think is probably one of the biggest factors in these terrible statistics about cancer and inflammation in our pets. Um, Most kibble foods tend to be about 50% carbohydrates, which is an awful lot of basically, we think carbohydrates, that means sugar. So if you're feeding any animal, 50% of their diet is sugar, um, there's, there's going to be a problem there. And then, you know, the processing itself has, you know, the possibility of creating potent carcinogens at the same time as we're feeding these sugars, we're going to see problems with inflammation and then heading into cancer and heading into other health issues. I think if we stop that train of the, you know, the poor nutrition train and give animals the healthy foods that get their immune system and their body working, that makes such a huge difference, and I certainly see that in my practice. You said fifty percent of dogs get cancer. Yeah, it's, it, it's an insane. Oh, and it, it absolutely should not be happening. It, when I came out of vet school twenty-five years ago, um, that was not at all the statistic. In fact, when we talked about cancer, it was like, "Wow, I hope you don't see any cancer cases this year." You know, and for me, right now in my practice, I'll get new clients coming in. You know, at least five or six new clients a week that they're coming in because they need a second opinion about a problem with cancer. Um, and that's a, that's a disaster. It's a disaster. And it's, you know, we're, we're creating yeah. it on all levels for many, many reasons. You know, the pesticides in the foods also are implicated in cancers. We've just seen that huge thing about glyphosate, you know, in the lawsuits and they're showing very clearly that they're associated with cancer. Well, we're feeding an awful lot of these pesticides using pesticides topically on our animals. And we think somehow they're going to come out without problems. And that just 
it's just not the case. These chemicals are very powerful, very strong. You know, I studied chemistry before vet school. I know what they do. They're, they're, they're not safe. And, you know, we have to pay attention. Yeah, okay. Good, fresh food is the way to go. <clears throat> so, okay. Um, you know, again, an irony here, because a lot of people say, oh, don't give dogs people food. And if you think yeah. about that, that's, that's, you know, saying that is a really bad thing. And I guess, yeah. people, I bet you most people assume that dogs should be very healthy and cats because right. they don't appear to have any sugar or quote unquote people food, but right. what they're having still is, is bad enough that it's uh, destroying their health. In a short period of time, I mean, average dog lives, what, 12 yeah. to 13 years and they're getting cancer in that time. Well, and the problem too is that, I mean, there's two things. One is that all the foods we're feeding to them are actually made by people. And those people are very invested in making money and very, very few of those um, people for, you know, from a big industry standpoint, have spent an awful lot of time trying to find out if these foods are actually healthier than, you know, than a fresh food. So that's a big problem. They're, they're looking at making something that is convenient, affordable, and makes them a lot of money. And with, with ingredients at hand, that they have. So if you have a, a cereal company making a pet food, they've got a lot of leftover cereals. They're going to be cereal grains that are going to be from the industrial world that'll have a lot of glyphosate and pesticides in them, plus their cereal grains, which isn't really appropriate for a dog or cat, but they'll they'll be using those. Or or a company that has, you know, that is in the human food industry has a lot of leftover bean things or potatoes or things like that. None of those things are appropriate for, for a dog or a cat. They shouldn't be getting their protein from lentils. They shouldn't be getting their, you know, their, their main source of their, their calories from, you know, potato. They're going to be, you know, you want to try to tap into what their ancestral need is. And these are animals whose bodies are used to getting fresh food from eating an animal. That's what they do. They, they would hunt and kill and eat an animal or scavenge, you know, an animal that's already gone and they would be eating the meat and the intestines. And I mean, honestly, the brains, the eyeballs, everything and chewing on the bones, that's their thing. And we think it's okay to make them a food and give them a food. And because the pet food industry tells us that's dog food, we believe that when in fact, it's the industry telling us not to feed leftovers, not to feed our leftover foods to pets because it makes them more money. It's not because it's necessarily bad. I mean, people can be could be smart about that. My grandmother fed our, our leftovers to our dog. Our dog lived till you know was, we, we had animals that lived on the farm. You know, I know from when my mother was growing up, she said they lived forever, and they were just eating leftovers and things. And you know, these are this this industry is is a multi billion dollar industry that is very much focused on you know on the the money side of it and. I try to tell people, as long as you're aware that the health of your animal is going to be something that you're going to have to focus on. It's not what the industry is focused on. And then that helps a little bit. We have to be looking at ingredients. We have to be looking at, is this actually making sense for the for this species? And what we've seen is just the health decrease the last you know, 50 to 75 years, the, the lifespan of many breeds of dogs has gone down which is you know supposed to be getting but better with much. our modern you know, medicines and everything. So like a golden retriever, the, the average lifespan from the AKC used to be somewhere between 16 and 18 years. And right now it's between really? 10 and 12. Yeah. And that's because most of them will get lymphoma or other types of cancers. And, and that's, and that's horrifying to me. There's like, that's why, ha why have that, you know, sort of a weird um, death sentence hanging over an animal 
uh, premature and, you know, we, we accept it as normal. Like, oh yeah, that's, you know, goldens, they get that. Like, why, why would that happen? It doesn't make any sense. That's a huge difference no. percentage wise. 16 to oh, 10. It's a huge say. difference. It's, it's a huge in difference. People, that would be, uh, what would be invented in people? Like instead of living to 80 or 78, you live to what? 50? Living to 60. Yeah. 50 or 60. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, right? And, and we sort of just accept it because it's just like, oh, that's that's their lifespan now. We, we have such a poor ability to really have a memory about this. We, have, we, didn't, we didn't talk about it. And we also have no way to record or keep track of what's really happening for general health with what we're doing. You know, is it is it causing a problem to be feeding these foods? Is it causing a problem that we, you know, don't pay attention to things, you know, in terms of being organic or not having chemicals in them? And do we, what kind of data do we have? We have a couple studies and then the people who, whose vested interest it is in, in, you know, giving us information will, will absolutely blast those few studies with very few animals to the skies and make us believe that it's true when maybe it's not. It was, it, it does make a difference for health that I see in my practice. I see a difference for animals when they're eating fresh food and getting what I consider to be the causes of health, which I learned from doing all of the zoo medicine and wildlife medicine that I did, you know, when, when I'm dealing with a, an injured, you know, like say some, some animal, a bird, that's a waterfowl bird, you know, grebes, grebes are amazing. They're so cool, but they're, they're very specific eaters, you know, like cats, cats are obligate carnivores. Well, grebes are, they have, they, they have to hunt and eat fresh fish or they just die. So if you're trying an animal that's got an injured wing or something like that, and you're being a rehabber and you're trying to feed it and you go ahead and feed it some sort of a processed food, they don't do well. You have to, you, you know that you recognize it right away as a rehabber. The best thing you can do is, you know, get fresh bugs or fresh fish or fresh, whatever that animal eats and get it in there. You know, if you have to tube feed it in fine, but you have to get that right food in there and then they do well, they'll heal. And that's what we learn as rehabbers. That's what we learn when we work in zoo medicine, wildlife. And then we get to dogs and cats and we're like, no, they can eat this little hard processed kibble their entire life. I mean, it's crazy. So what, what should dogs and cats eat? Cats eat, what's an ideal diet for them? Something fresh, um, something that's balanced, and it shouldn't be just muscle meat. One of the big mistakes people make when they hear something like this is like, oh, they're supposed to eat meat. Okay, I'm going to feed my dog hamburger the rest of its life. You know, and that's a problem because they would never just eat. I mean, if they kill a rabbit, they're not just eating the thigh muscle. They're eating the intestines and the heart and the spleen and the, you know, the, the again, the brains and eyeballs. And they, all of those things have different nutrients in them. The intestines will have some maybe slightly fermented, you know, vegetables and things from the prey that they're eating. And all of those things go into what the animal needs. That's why they eat them. And so if we don't have a balanced diet, we're not going to have a healthy animal either. So you want to make sure that the food is very balanced and that it includes all of the different micronutrients in it, but it should be fresh meat, uncooked if possible. Definitely not, you know, when you take beautiful fresh ingredients and you cook them, you will be decreasing the nutritional value of most of them, you know, and that's one of our issues right now we're seeing, you know, in terms of animals that are having, um, you know, like we were talk, talking recently at another um, seminar about the heart disease that people, <laughs> sorry, <clears throat> get all choked up about heart disease. Um, the, but it's a bad thing. It's a terrible problem. We see heart disease in animals that are, you know, they said it was because they were eating grain free food, but it's really because we've been feeding foods that have been, you know, they're, they're not fully balanced. They're not healthy enough. And a lot of the grain free foods went from feeding 
um, meat proteins and try and in trying to go to grain free, they'll use different sources um, for carbohydrates like, you know, chickpeas or lentils. And then they also use a chickpea or lentil as a protein source, but that's not a complete imbalanced protein for an ant, for a dog or a cat. And so that creates this imbalance. It is about making sure that you do something like that and then you process it, high heat process it or put it in a can. You decrease some really important amino acids that are for heart disease, you know, that will make heart disease if you're deficient. So if you don't have enough taurine, you can become, um, a, a, a have a, a really bad cardiac disease because of not having enough taurine. And taurine is very easily degraded when it's heated um, in the canning process, in the heat process to make a kibble. And that's a, that's a problem. And, and we're seeing that as more of the, the issue than it is just about the green-free food. If it's fresh food, fresh meats, very well balanced, that's what I want. I, you know, a little bit of, I, I do believe in using, you know, you can use vegetables to balance a food if you need to, because I don't believe the meats and the even the organs and things like that that we have are the same as what game game animals would be if we're getting them from industrial farming. So we do need to make sure they're actually really well balanced. So dogs and dogs and cats can have raw meat, no problem. It doesn't bother them, and that's good for them. Oh yeah, they can have raw meat. They can have raw meat mixed in with their food, and if it's if it's you know balanced with other nutrients, and make sure that all the fatty acids and everything else are are fine in there, um, they can live on that. Um, they're the pH of one in their stomach. Um, that takes care of an awful lot of different, different kinds of bacteria. There's their mouth has an incredible saliva. That's very antibacterial. They are used to, I mean, I don't know if you've watched dogs. I have, they, you know, they lick each other's butts and they step on something and lick it off their foot. They don't care what it is. If it's poop or, you know, half dead animal or, you know, all kinds of things, they handle it fine. They don't get sick um, from that because they're made to eat that. I mean, they're made to have that kind of thing, lick it, swallow it, have it in their mouth, their mouth takes care of it. They're, you know, cats are the same. They, you know, they are able to handle an awful lot of pathogens that, you know, we as, as you know, we're in the grade eight family, our pH in our stomach isn't nearly as, um, you know, ready to take care of these different pathogens because we wouldn't be eating so much of that type of food. So we're, you know, we're not as meant for that to be careful, but the dogs and cats, no, I mean, they've, they've had animals eat salmonella laden chickens. I mean, I know leftovers people used to give had all kinds of things, E. coli, salmonella, who cares that the, the animals are fine with that. Um, unless they're really severely debilitated and have immune system problems, which typically tend to be because we've, we've created those <laughs> or have problems, but you know, then that's a different story, but a healthy animal should absolutely be able to, um, to handle that. So yeah, so giving them the bones of the, you know, if you eat ribs, you give them the bones and, you know, they happily lay there and crack them and eat them and it's a good partnership, it sounds like. Yeah, as long as they're not cooked. A cooked bone will splinter weirdly and can be very sharp, but a, a raw bone has sort of more of a dull thud to it than an animal that, you know, they just slowly, if they get used to that again, if we rebuild the the biome in the body so that they're used to digesting that kind of thing. And, you know, you have to change them over from the kibble because, you know, the kibble food and things like that have been feeding bacteria in the gut and making sort of a strange population of bacteria because we've been feeding them so much sugar. So we need to, you know, you take about 10 days to change over so that the right bacteria and the right systems can get back online to take care of the, you know, the food that they should be eating. But with, you know, they can chew on the raw bones, you know, you just take it nice and slow and introduce it and it, it, it can really work. Yeah, we do pro, you know, a lot of probiotics. Know. Sorry. Yeah, we, we do a yeah, lot of probiotics and things like that. Yeah. Oh, there's probiotics for dogs. What, 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 uh -huh. what are they made from and how are they given? 
Um, I like a variety. So there's a lot that are available, you know, just online or, or if you can go to a little local store, I'd prefer that because it's better. There's also someone then accountable there for you. Um, who can help you, you know, talk through it. But um, there's, I use a, um, the probiotic because um, I formulated a probiotic through the Now Supplement Company and they are organic and a wonderful company. So I, there's a, they have their pet line. Um, so that's easy. And so the, the Now Pets has their, it's called GI Support. That's the um, probiotic. And that has some of the ones I think are really important for GI health. But I do believe in the variety of it. So not only will we do that, but We'll do, you know, some unpasteurized goat milk or, or some, you know, good goat yogurt or things like that. I don't tend to use cow products um, or cow yogurt because it's too inflammatory for, for dogs and cats. So I will stick with things like goat or sheep. Um, those products don't seem to bother them. Um, I do use an awful lot of butter. If it's pasture-raised or organic butter or something like, you know, Kerrygold or something from Europe where they don't have so much, um, so many problems with their uh, cattle in terms of the um, chemicals in them. And they also have them uh, pasture-raised. Um, that kind of butter is okay. I'll use that for giving pills and things like that in dogs and cats. So how has this changed how you and your family eat? And does this affect <laughs> uh, the families that bring in the pets too? Do they help each other and eat better, eat better yeah. together? It's incredible. It, it's actually one of the things I didn't anticipate is how dramatic this has changed my clients' lives, certainly my life. Um, I mean, my husband has always been very um, organic and um, really interested in conservation. But we've once we really started looking into this about 20 years ago, um, it's it's changed all of our lives in terms of health. Um, you know, he he had. I remember what he was went into the doctor and they diagnosed. Um, that he had some high blood pressure and this is when he was working in the city and the, and he said, okay, well, what should I be eating? And the doctor said, doesn't matter what you eat, just take this medication. And I just remember going, he came home and he said, yeah, they absolutely said that. I'm like, that's ridiculous. I mean, we, of course it oh, matters yeah, what you eat. And you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, uh, but that's just the, the, you know, what human medicine teaches. And, and we've, I've seen that with cats. I've seen that with dogs. You know, there's so many, we change diet, blood pressures get better, heart conditions get better, you know, allergies get better, seizures get better. And we do the same thing. Now with my family, it's the same. My husband now is actually what his profession is. He's an organic farmer and we have our own food um, that we grow um, as well as buying food from organic um, local markets and things like that. My daughter's the same, my son. I mean, we don't eat processed food. And I don't even have to tell them, you know, I have a 14 year old girl who goes out with, you know, her friends and she just says to them, rather than making a big fuss about it, she'll just like, no, I already ate, I'm not going to eat anything. And she just doesn't eat if it's not something that she thinks is going to be healthy for her because she feels the difference. That's really good. And that's it. Um, but it does make a difference. I have clients that come in that were so severely overweight and unhealthy that they couldn't even go visit their grandchildren. And these, you know, it was a couple actually that specifically I'm thinking about and they, they couldn't, and they were so sad about it. And you're know, talking about their obese dog and we sort of made the dog get crazy healthy. And then the dog wanted to be walked. So they started to do a little bit more walking. And then they said, you know what we decided to do? We took your advice about the dog and we're eating less processed food. We're eating less sugar. You know, they go a little bit ketogenic on their diet now. And again, all of a sudden they both lost about 80 pounds each. And then they lost another 40 pounds and suddenly they could fit into wow. airplane seats. They could travel and they could go to Europe and their lives are completely different. I mean, they're retired. They could be doing whatever they want. They have money. 
And, you know, they wouldn't be doing that. It's crazy. So I see that a lot, a lot. Do you tell this to your patients when they come in or do you, you know, you can't really tell it to them or do you share stories of how the animals got helped and then the people get helped or how does it, how does it happen? You know, I try not to because people associate eating weight and all of that with sort of a shaming, right? And, you know, it's very weird. It's, It's not considered... And I think this is also from the industry. Like it's like, you can eat whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. You want to eat a ton of sugar, eat a ton of sugar. And the industry teaches you that it's your choice. You know, you can do this. And if we say, you know, you shouldn't do that, we're, we're sort of attacking them in, in a personal way. It's too personal. When actually as a doctor, I consider it a medical condition, right? It's a medical condition. If an animal has an infection on the skin and it's a staph infection, I'm going to say, okay, we have to fix this. I have to give you this thing and this thing. It's going to treat it. And that's what we're going to do. But if I say, you know, even if I say to about the dog, I mean, it's, I have to dance around saying your dog is, you know, obese because the first time I say that people, people get really embarrassed and they're, they're shamed and they feel like I'm attacking them. So I, I dance around it and I'll talk gently about it and I'll do that. So if I'm doing that with the animal, you can imagine it. The idea of saying anything to anybody about their own diet or their own health, it's absolutely taboo. But I don't believe it should be. And I think it should be very, it should be something that we should be aware of because, the, you know, there's an addiction to sugar out there for people. It's the same with animals. So many cats I know are addicted to sugars in their kibble food and it's very hard to get them to change to fresh food. You can do it. It took me nine months to get my cat to eat raw food. I did it. It was, it was difficult, but now he's probably the healthiest cat I know. And, you know, he was not doing well when I first um, him. Do uh, people's condition, health condition, you know, at least visually correlate with their animals condition or no? You know what? I think if I, when given the tools to do that, I see both human and animal conditions do tend to improve somewhat together. Because if, if I were just giving a medication for something, then you wouldn't see much of a correlation between you know the human and the animal. And um, so in terms of getting better, I feel like understanding this, what's going on, I spend a lot of time trying to talk about what's going on. And then I, once I explain that, people understand that that would also be relevant for them. And then they have the tools and they can do that. So in terms of getting better, I do see that correlate because I see the animals get better and then I do see the humans get better. Walking in the door, um, I don't always see that. The, you know, I've had very, very healthy mountain climbers come in with very obese animals. And it's because they're doing what they're told, which is feed this kibble food and the animal's hungry all the time and they love the animal. So then they feel bad and they're not there because they're out climbing mountains or something. So they come home and then they give an extra treat and whatever. And it's because they keep saying, well, we put the dog on this, you know, weight reduction diet of kibble food and it's just not working. We're trying these things and there's, but there's no good solution. And so, you know, that kind of thing happens a lot. And then just again, getting the tools again to talk about this actually applies to animals too. All of a sudden they can get their animals healthy too. I didn't think about that. So if you um, if you give your dog just kibble and you give it treats all the time, I guess just like someone eating a high carb diet, they're hungrier much more often than they would be. Absolutely, meat only. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they're desperate. You know, they they get, they get hangry. You know, it's like when I changed my diet to be more <laughs> ketogenic, so I don't I don't eat sugar in the morning ever. You know, nothing, nothing at all for sure. And you know, I'm, I still every so often on the weekend I'll have a croissant with chocolate. You know, I like that, but. But I have this method in general. I don't get hangry anymore. I mean, I can work eating, but I don't.
but I just, I'm eating mostly fats, maybe a little meat or something in the morning or, or vegetables in the morning. I'm great. And that's what, you know, we're teaching them about their pets. If these pets are eating really good food, they don't, they don't do that midday freak out um, about food or, or, or begging so much. They beg less. I will say, I also teach people don't feed at exactly the same time every day, because if you don't feed at the same time, they don't get this false hyperacidic ramp up that they would never get in the wild. They wouldn't know that every day at 4.30, they get a rabbit. <clears throat> you know, they'd be like, I'm going to go hunting. I might oh, get a rabbit. Oh. I'm not going to anticipate getting a rabbit by producing acid and enzymes and saliva half hour before, which is what happens. You know, dogs can tell time hmm. and, they know, and they know about hmm. food, but they never would put those two together. We put them together and teach them that that's the way it is. And they're like, oh, okay, well, so every day at 4.30, I get fed. Well, you know, at four o'clock, I'm going to start excited about it. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then over time, that creates an unhealthy situation in the stomach with too much acid that has no place to go. And it also creates this hyperbilious vomiting where people come in and say, oh, if I don't feed my dog right at six o'clock in the morning, he vomits. Like that's not because you're feeding on time. It's because they're anticipating that you're feeding at the same time every day. You just have to change that. Don't feed at the same time every day. They'll never know when food time is. They're not creating acid. They're not going to vomit bile. It's not in there. And it, it's, it, that solves the problem. I feed my dogs once a day, sometimes 11 in the morning, sometimes five at night, sometimes, you know, just every day it's a different thing. During the course of the week, my, I have big dogs. Um, they get one meal a day. And so I have, I have seven meals per week. That's all I worry about. Sometimes it's 11 hours between meals. Sometimes it's 36 hours between meals. And they are super healthy. And they don't beg you all the time? No, no, they don't. Because it doesn't work. I mean, they, it, it's a hunting technique. They're not... They're not hungry. They're very well fed. They're, they're glossy and beautiful, very well muscled. And if their hunting technique is to beg and sit and stare at me and look at me for food and it works, they will do that again the next day. I just, I don't, I don't yeah, do that. True. And so it's just, it's not that they don't, they know I love them. They know that they have nothing. The food is not the love. I give them food when, when it's fun. And I do that. We do, I do treats. I, I you know, we have a good time, um, but it's not about, you know, they're not going to bother me if I'm sitting somewhere to just get food because they know that's not going to work. There's other reasons to do yeah, that. They're you softy. You know, they make, they make you feel very bad. They look at you and they look very sad. It's just, it's literally a hunting technique. They're, they're very good at figuring out they're scavengers. They'll just figure out the hunting technique that works. I have people, I have clients that come in and say, Oh, my dogs have to wake me up at four o'clock every morning to eat. Like, do you want to get up at four in the morning? Do you go to work or what do you do? And they're like, no, no, no. I want to sleep till nine. I'm like, well, okay, just stop. They're like, no, no, they, they'll, they won't, they won't be able to do it. They can't do it. I'm like, it'll take them 10 days, deal with it, close the door, do something, live, stay up, whatever you got to do, but get through the 10 days. Do not feed them. And they stop. They always stop. They're, they're not going to use a hunting. Have, that there's people that the dogs wake them up and they feel like they have to wake up to feed them. Oh yeah. All the time. That's, that's a, that's a common one. <laughs> Yeah, huh. it's crazy. But, you know, they're like, no, no, she's so hungry. She's so hungry. I'm like, she's acting hungry. She's not that hungry. It just works. So it's, it's actually a bad thing to, I guess people think of it as a good thing. Oh, they're very regular. They eat at the same time every day. But that's actually not a good thing for them. No, no, not a good thing. It's not normal at all. Go Again, my touchstone is always what what's natural. If I go back to the ancestry of this animal, what's the most natural thing that creates this incredible healthy population of wolves or coyotes or, you know, um, foxes? You know, I just saw a fox running through my front yard the other day. And, you know, I just would it be normal for them to eat at the same time every day? No. Would it be normal for them to, you know, have even pesticides or things like that on them? No. 
Would it be normal for them to get bathed every month? You know, I looked at that glossy, shining red coat, thick tail. It was unbelievably beautiful in the sunlight. And it's because the natural oils are there. We're not bathing them off. You know, we're not destroying the natural bacteria on the skin by over grooming them and making them, you know, temporarily, maybe we, we do bathing and it makes them feel sort of good, but then, then their, their allergies or their other problems are going to come right back because we've exposed the skin and taken off the natural oils. I mean, we do so many things that create problems, create little skin inflammation and tumors create, you know, it's just, it's not healthy. And it doesn't make sense. And we just we just started believing it for for the reason that you know, the industry told us to. Hmm. So what what are the common uh, symptoms or problems that dogs and cats have when they come to see you? What do the owners tell you what's going wrong? And is that is that is, is that what's going wrong or it's something else? Yeah, typically people come in for one thing and they're, uh, they, you know, they, uh, for me now, you know, 20, 20 some years in, people know that I'm going to talk about nutrition. So I've got that advantage. But, you know, when I was even a few years ago, people would come in and say, no, I have a, you know, my dog has an, an allergy problem. Um, it's seasonal. So it's definitely going to be, you know, to do with pollen because it doesn't happen all the time. So it's not food related. Um, and this is what's going on. So don't talk to me about the diet. I'm not changing the diet. And, uh, it is food, you know, people will come in and say, you know, oh, it's an ear infection or, oh, I have seizures, you know, so there's no way that's diet related. It's epilepsy and I just need some meds or some supplements and things like that. I'm like, well, it is diet. Because if we're talking about all of these different conditions that have at their root, which they, this is, you know, not just more like, you know, Harvard, that, that at the root of many of these conditions is inflammation. And inflammation is like a cup in the body. If you don't fill it up, you don't create a lot of inflammation, then you're not going to see a seasonal allergy because you may have pollen and be allergic to that. But if your inflammation cup is empty, you can have pollen around and you won't see a problem with it. Or if you have seizures, they're seeing seizures are often triggered by allergies or inflammation, things like that. And they can get worse if you've got more inflammation in the body. But if I can decrease inflammation in the body with diet, then that can make a difference even for seizures. You know, one of the number one treatments for seizures is ketogenic diet. And, you know, that's, that's, right, yeah. that's, something, that's something people don't think of doing in animals, but they should. So often I'm just like, guess what? If you eat a lot of carbohydrates, you're going to make a lot of insulin to deal with all that sugar. And insulin is absolutely linked to inflammation in the body. And your cup is full. So, um, Whatever problem you've got is going to be a, more of a problem. So it sounds like an easy eating plan would be, you know, if you eat meat X number of times a week, you just buy a little bit extra, don't cook it. You eat the, the cooked stuff and you give the raw stuff to your dog. As an example. Again, that's not going to be balanced. So that's our problem, right? So yes, you can oh, have a little extra, a muscle do that, but that's just, we're back to that problem that people do, right? The first thing we think, it's like, oh, well, I'll just give them muscle meat and that'll be it. But you know, you, you, you need it to be everything. So like, you know, again, what my grandmother used to do on the farm is she'd give all of the internal organs and the intestines and, you know, the leftover things that we wouldn't eat to the dog. Mm. Right. And so they would have that balance, but then also those animals would have been going out and hunting and eating something on their own. So they could choose when we don't, they never get to choose in our houses. So they don't get to choose what they're sort of having a hankering for, which often is what they right. need. That's how most animals do that. You know, they're looking for food that makes them healthy. We're the only species on the planet that makes food that will kill us. So, so they're, they're, they're looking for that. So, so our problem is it needs to be balanced. If we're going to not let them choose, it needs to be balanced. You need magnesium and selenium and you need, you know, phosphorus and all the fatty acids and you need to have all the amino acids, you know, you need everything there appropriately. 
So, you know, if we don't have that, um, then we're not going to, we're not going to have a healthy diet. <clears throat> so you, you so have to look at people are, uh, <clears throat> yeah. people are overfeeding their dogs. And I guess most yeah. of them, you know, including us, unfortunately, we, we have uh, food available for them all the time, like a bowl of kibble sitting there. And, uh, yeah, they, they don't eat it. Because they're just, yeah, they don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they really liked it, they would eat it. My dog eats no, my true. pre-prepared, it's commercially prepared raw food that I purchase in frozen half pounds, little packets. And I buy that for my two big dogs. And my Labrador eats two pounds of food in 8.7 seconds. Uh, I put it down and it's gone. Now he's a nutcase and I love him, but he's, he's eight years old and he looks like he's an Adonis. I mean, he's unbelievably gorgeous. Um, cool. And my, my Pyrenees mix does the same thing. She's a little slower because she had my daughter because she was hit by baseball bat, but um, so her face is a little funny, but she, um, she eats it very, very fast. So it's gone. It should be gone. There, you know, a bowl of kibble sitting out, first of all, it's going rancid. The oils in there are going rancid with oxygen and, and light and everything else. So, but you know, if it's sitting out for any period of time, it's going rancid. The oils in the bag of food are going rancid as they sit there. By the time you get halfway through a big bag of food there, it's rancid. And you can't tell because there's all those flavor enhancers in there. But um, that's terrible. That creates cancer. Rancid fats, bad idea. Mm. So, you know, if we're, doing, if we're feeding rancid food all of the time, the body is going to have to be fighting that. I mean, to me, it's, you know, it's not like a direct link to cancer, but it is a direct link to things that are unhealthy. And unhealthy things make the body have to fight too many battles. And that's why we're seeing those things. So yeah. I would say, you know, yeah, I wouldn't feed a kibble food. I just would never do it. And it's not worth it. You spend so much more money at the vet. <laughs> You know, every time you walk into a vet, it's got to be 300 bucks. Like put that money towards really great food and you can go in for your annual exams or your biannual exams and, you know, get, have normal care. It's, it's just silly to me. All the things that we're treating and, and tap dancing about that just should not happen. Dental disease alone is crazy because of all of the dry food, you know, sugary food. I mean, you know, people say there's no sugar in my food. It's like there's carbohydrates in your food. All kibble foods yeah. going to be somewhere between 30 and 50% carbohydrate, which is way more than these animals are at all expecting to have. And they don't have a good way to deal with it in their mouth. So that's like saying, here's your ginger snap sugar cookie. You're going to go to bed. You've brushed your teeth. Like, no, I will have terrible so dental condition if that's the case. And that's what these dogs are having. So there's no kibble that, that uh, is good for them, no matter how good it looks. I, would, I wouldn't ever feed a kibble food to my dog. Now that I know, I've, I've looked at the industry, I've gone to the factories, I know what's happened, I know why it's there, I know what it is, I just wouldn't. I mean, I don't I don't see any need to. There's there's no reason to. I don't know why I would. It's so easy. I take the half-pound patties out of the freezer, I put them in the bowl I'm going to feed them in, I thaw it on the counter, in the fridge, whatever, whatever my timing is. If I forget, I throw it in the oven in the metal container that I'm feeding it in, I put it in warm water thaws it, you know, in 15 minutes, you know, whatever I need to do, I thaw it. And once it's thawed, I just, and because I don't have a food time, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, 4.15 and I feed it 4.30. Well, that's, you know, that's just, so whenever it thaws, I take the bowl and put it on the floor and it's gone. The bowl is licked 17 times clean. And then that's all I do. I just rinse out the bowl and go to the next day. It's, it's so easy and people act like it's so crazy, but I'm not making food. I have, you know, I work a practice. I, I run my practice. I have a university where I teach. I teach veterinarians and technicians. I teach, I teach at the, you know, at Cal Poly in, for the pre-vet program. I, I've written books. I do, my life is crazy. 
have a foundation yeah. in which we're trying to get money for research into all this to prove it. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with that. You, I don't have time to, 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 you know, do too much for my food. I want it to be convenient and easy for my pets so that I just, you know, I get to just hang out with my pets and they're healthy and I don't, I don't have to be their veterinarian. I'm their mom. I mean, it's great. True, yeah. So yeah, I just, you know, I, I, there's a lot of, a lot of my clients will really admire if you want to make fresh food for your, for your pets, my, the Royal Animal Health University that teaches, we teach, we also have a diet formulator program. We can sell the software to people if they want to make their own diets and make them balanced and say, I want to include, yeah. you know, in Australia, I want to make kangaroo meat diets that are balanced. Okay. You know, you can take this animal diet formulator program, you can purchase it and you can plug in the ingredients you want to put in there and it'll tell you what you need to add to make it balanced. I mean, it's amazing. So people are doing that. You, uh, yeah. Have you modified that for people? I know, right? They're actually, they're, um, the, the Steve Brown, who's, who's the person who um, started this program years and years and years ago and, and um, still works with us, um, he's working on that for people. I mean, you know, he's the one who's he's been correcting USDA data for years about what's in certain, you know, like if you have chicken that's um, been industrially raised and never sees the sun, there's no vitamin D in there. But in a lot of the food, they're saying, oh, if you use chicken, you're going to get this much vitamin D. It's like, no, you won't. Not if it doesn't see the sunlight. So you, you may be an unbalanced diet. You have to know what you're using. And that's where this diet formulator is amazing. It can tell all kinds of different foods where they're from, where they're sourced, and it'll tell you exactly what's in there so that you can use that. So we use that's a tool. We also just sometimes formulate diets for people. They'll just say, hey, I just I don't want to use the program. I just want you to tell me a good food. I'll go buy it all. I'll buy it at the grocery store. Like, okay, you can do that too. We'll give you things to do that. So, so you know, at the university, we right, do so that. So what's, what's an example of uh, how people could – at least approximate a much better diet. Any tips for people? And then, you know, where can they get the software after that? We'll ask. Yeah, you need, the, I mean, you need a recipe because it's going to be, it's, it, you know, it's not just like, okay, if you, you know, this is like 80, 10, 10 thing and all that stuff. It's just not balanced. I've, I've run it through the formulator. And if you're feeding the same thing all the time to an animal and they don't ever get to choose, you will have illness. Illness will come because the body doesn't mm -hmm. have what it needs to stay healthy. So it does need to be balanced and you do need to have some variety. So my recommendation would be to change and to buy somebody's version who does a really good job of sourcing, try to go organic, buy somebody's version of a commercially available raw fresh food and use that even if you're using it some of the time and doing a kibble, it it can make such a difference in their health to have some fresh food. So, I mean, if, if you can't do that, then, you know, buy some sardines now and again and put a sardine in the diet. And if you're doing the kibble, oh, Add some add some fresh eggs or or you know even some fresh vegetables now and again. Although we're not feeding you know a monkey, we're feeding a carnivore. It's it's good if you can even add fresh vegetables and things. It gives some fresh ingredients. But you do wanna you wanna try to approximate a more natural food and put that together. But buy buy a commercial available one, or you can get a recipe. I mean the recipes have to have certain things. If you have an eighty five percent you know. Um, protein, uh, ground beef, then it will be different than if you have, you know, a 70%, um, you know, protein ground beef, that will be a very different recipe. And people don't believe yeah, that, it's but it, it can become completely imbalanced for the linolenic acids and things like that. I mean, you're, you, things get out of balance and it, it matters if you have chicken and you're putting that in, it matters if the skin's involved or not, what we're putting into it. So it does help to have a good recipe and they, they, you know, they're not expensive. It's not a big deal. You can, you can go to the Royal animal health university um, website or the animal diet formulator website and we can help. Um, it's not that complicated. It's things you can get in the grocery store. <clears throat> what, uh, 
yeah. what are your thoughts about uh, people? Are they uh, carnivores themselves? Are they true omnivores? Or you know, what is? How is this informed? How you think? And again, it's opinion, but how you think uh, people should eat? Well. I mean, for one, I don't think there's a debate about like, people say dogs are omnivores. They're not omnivores. They're carnivores who are scavengers. So they can live on things. They can digest corn and they can digest a lot of things, but it doesn't, it isn't the thing that makes them healthy. So that's what I look for in what I consider to be any species I look at. What is the thing that makes them the most vibrantly healthy and live the longest life? That's what I want to feed them. Right. So I don't want to feed them the stuff that they can live on barely and not function well. I want to give them the most vibrant food they can have because I love them and I want them to live forever. So that's one. Cats obviously are obligate carnivores. It's crazy how much carbohydrate we feed them. They all get obese and diabetes and dental disease and heart diseases and things like that. Those all, the kidney disease, all of that can be avoided if they get fresh, good food, high protein, high fat, low carbs. So I do all of that. But in terms of people, I mean, for me, I, you know, I just look at our diet um, and I'm like, yes, fresh food. I don't need to eat processed food. And, and I really go along with what Michael Pollan says, you know, um, you know, eat food, real father wouldn't recognize. Don't look if you're if you're buying food, and all of it has to have an ingredient label on the outside to tell you what's in it. Don't don't buy that. You know, get get fresh food, make it yourself, cook food yourself. The number one factor in making sure that you stay healthy is if you make your own food. That's the number one factor. Because you know, I, I, I bake croissants with my daughter. You know, I used to be a baker and it takes two days to make a really good croissant. Um, you know, so we'll eat them, but we eat them like they're gold. Right. So I'm not just going up to, yeah. you know, the local coffee shop and buying 10 croissants and eating them all day. Cause that's crazy. I've, I've spent two days making them, you know, <laughs> but make your own food and get to know what's, what's in it. Understand what, how it makes you feel. Think about food. Don't let all food taste like salt or fried. If you know the taste of salt, you shouldn't have it all the time. You know, the taste of sugar. Try to know the taste of what broccoli tastes like. Mm. Food tastes like enjoys with the same toppings. That's what I would do. And I think you stay healthy that way. Okay. Very good. Yeah. So again, references to restate them for people that have pets and uh, want to mm-hmm. improve their health. What are the websites again? Oh, it's the, um, my clinic. If you're in Chicago is just the, um, the, the Royal treatment veterinary center. And that's in Chicago. My um, university is the Royal animal health university. Um, it's royalanimalhealthuniversity.com. And then the um, we have a foundation also that's a nonprofit, which accepts donations for research and student education. So that's Royal Animal Health University Foundation. Um, and then the Animal Diet Formulator.com, um, which is also our, that's where you can find more information about diets. But all of them are sort of linked to each other. So if you have any issues, you can get to one and find the other ones if you need to, or email us and we'll help you along the way to figure out what you want. That's great. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was a real pleasure. Nice talking to you again, Richard. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves, or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, 
epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.